Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts, Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this episode of Trail and Error. Uh, In our virtual studio again this week is myself and Tristan Stevenson. Hello, Tris. Hey Jay, how you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Um, it's weird because there's no one else, is there? It's just us two. Just me and you. And we didn't manage to cock it up last time we did it when it was just the two of us. So we're on a streak. If we can hold that together, we almost might seem slightly professional at the end of this. Who knows? Um, that's the long-term goal, isn't it? Just to seem <laughs> professional. Not to be professional, oh, just God, to no. seem it. Just seem it. <laughs> the veneer. <laughs> um, so... We did a, a special um, recording a, a few weeks back where we both ran in the Southwest Traverse down here in Cornwall, and it seemed quite popular, and we had fun doing it. So um, you came up with the idea of, of doing something similar um, for an upcoming race that you have. I'm not doing this one, uh, um, but you are going to head up to Sussex, uh, Hampshire, Hampshire, Hampshire. And- Although I don't know, does it cross? It put- this is going to. So we're soon going to find out how little I know about the route. <laughs> Um, it may well cross counties. I don't know, um, but it certainly, I think, finishes in Hampshire. So, it might start in. I don't, I don't know. I'm literally making it up at this point. <laughs> so you are <laughs> heading up to take part in the Freedom Racing Salomon Serpent Trails. Yeah, emphasis on the Salomon. Salomon big it sound, makes it sound extremely high profile, doesn't it? Very journey like. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, this was a race that I hadn't actually planned on entering, but one of my brothers, Pat, entered it and um, decided at some point earlier this year that he wasn't that fussed about running it, and so I took his place. So that's one of the reasons why I don't know a lot about it. But, of course, you know, given that we're from Cornwall and we run here, we, we are very familiar with the freedom racing um, guys, and... Um, I mean, I've run a couple of their, two or three of their race, three of those races, I think, in the past. Have you run freedom racing? Yes. Uh, my first ever 10K was a freedom racing. So Nikki and yeah. Tom um, were based down in Cornwall for a long, long, long time and have moved it to the lakes now, um, but still hold a huge amount of events. Very, very well um, respected, I would say, uh, and enjoyed events down in Cornwall. Lots of 10Ks. And this is their kind of other out of county kind of race. Yeah. Yeah. I previously did, um, well, the KVK, um, which of course is that kind of brutal, um, what is it? 24 kilometer coast path, mostly coast path, a bit of kind of hill climb. Well, it's a lot of hill climbing race. Taking in um, the St. Agnes Beacon. Yeah. Yeah. That's the North Coast where you climb. Kilometer. Yeah. So the idea is you climb a vertical kilometer through the course. I didn't actually do the full one. I did a relay with my brother, one of my brothers. Um, another brother uh, on that one, which was fun. And um, then they did the South Points Trail Marathon, which is the one and only marathon I have ever run in, um, which was from, well, sort of basically from Helston down to Lizard Point and back, more or less. Um, did that one well, that was a couple of years ago now, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and um, I've done some of their summer sessions as well, the kind of 10Ks they do on the coast path dotted around here and there, which are really good fun. Yeah, yeah, um, they are good races um, and nice people as well. Although really? beasting yourself on a 10K on the coast path is quite horrible. It really is. Like going all out on the coast path for, well, whatever, 40 minutes to an hour is hard work. Hard indeed. on the body. Really hard on the body. Yeah. Um, I, my, the good thing about doing it in the coast path, of course, is you can jump in the sea afterwards. And that's exactly what I did. I remember I did the Paul Do one um, about three or four years ago and just straight in the sea afterwards. And it was glorious. Well, hopefully you're going to see accident oh, on purpose, sorry, rather than accident. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, totally. It was intentional at that point. I did mine just uh, as a, a, an emu. 
Oh, did you? Yeah, six of us, I think it was, ran it as emus. And we managed to find somebody on Godrevy Beach who had a phobia of emus. <laughs> oh, my God. What's Which the is chances? Six, six feet emus come up alongside this lady who has a phobia of emus. <laughs> and were your costumes sort of like convincing enough to, to trigger the phobia? I, I, well, they had legs and feathers and, and kind of we were inside the suits like we were riding them. Um, I mean, she probably, you, just, probably just thought you were dickheads. I, I think that's a safe assumption to make, if I'm honest. I felt very much like a dickhead running that. It's um, it was a silly idea. Since my feet got wet and and tripled in weight, yeah, I can understand oh, why. Did, emus what, did you have like big sort of, Yeah, did you have like big fluffy feet and everything? Absolutely, yeah, the full on. Oh no. Yeah, it was it was hot. It was uh, sandy. My feet weighed three tons, and I was running it with all the the Cornish speed goats from TNT. So I was I was last emu, I think. Running it with them in like but they went inverted for me at certain points, yeah. Grazed, <laughs> grazed casually at the side of the path while others went past. It was, I think, it was the first year I've ever crossed the line with Steve Wyatt at the same time, and, and, and ever will be the only time. Um, so, but let's get back to the the serpent trail. So, you've been recovering from um, the traverse. Probably took you about fifteen minutes, I suspect. And <laughs> well, actually, I took um, I took a full five days off running um which is a lot for me i and and it was definitely a good move normally i'm kind of trying to get out for a recovery run sort of two to three days afterwards and i felt like i could have done that um this time around yeah i mean the the only really sort of lasting effect from that race and it's still ongoing was the state of my feet um the shoes although perfect on grip that i wore which was the nike terakaga sevens if you remember Mm -hmm. from that episode were really brutal on sort of the condition of my feet and toes. So I had some really bad blisters and were actually the worst blisters I've ever had. Um, so that that sort of slowed me down and thought, you know what, leave leave a bit of time to recover. So I started running about five, six days afterwards and actually that was fine. Um, and um, really all I've done since is kept it relatively low intensity. I've had I've done a few sort of, tempo intervals here and there um just to sort of i think sort of from a mental point of view to sort of have the confidence that, that pace is still there as well um one of the real big um hitters that happened in the sort of interim period between these two races which is five weeks um was i managed to get a norovirus um oh, wow which yeah which knocked me out for about four days five days and then for a further week after that i could really feel the effect on my performance of running um oysters uh oysters suspected cause it wasn't actually that severe i wasn't throwing up but i had every single other symptom um and you know in my mind it was without doubt norovirus um very sort of achy fluey um temperature all that kind of stuff so that did um it did affect me for for yeah i guess probably a total of about 10 days um but i feel like i've fully recovered from that now and um yeah i've just been knocking out sort of i guess 70 to 100 kilometers a week um maintaining a reasonably low effort um and yeah i'm now tapering obviously because when we're recording this um what f- uh, three four days before the race mm-hmm. um so and have, uh, you, reason- have you adjusted your terrain to kind of accommodate because they're very very different courses obviously rolling uh versus the the horrible coast path yeah um well, rolling's quite difficult to find around where I live. Um, you can find hills, but they're all fairly steep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've run a lot of flat on the Camel Trail mm-hmm. um, since I I suspect that the sort of terrain underfoot is likely to be similar to that. Um, you know, it's wooded trail mostly. Um, I think um, should be quite soft underfoot from what I've seen yeah. previously. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I understand as well which is great. It'll be easy on the legs um, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I haven't done a lot of hill running. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've put in a few sort of hill um, sessions here and there, but mostly flat stuff because I figure, you know, I trained for climbing for the Southwest Traverse. I did a lot of climbing that day. Um, you know, as long as I'm sort of supplementing with a few hills and here and there, I don't imagine yeah. that I'm going to sort of, you know, I've lost that ability. Um and as you say, the course is, so it's a course, we should say there's two, there's, there's the 50K, um, which 
um, it's part of the Golden Trail series, um, which is a, a group of 50k races, I think, that are all part of mm-hmm. this series, and therefore they're going to be quite competitive runners in that race. Um, my brother Jamie's running it, Jordan Clay is running it, um, and a whole contingent of runners from Cornwall are heading up there to run that, and some of them running the 100k too, which is, is what I'm doing. Um, the 50k, as I understand it, this basically follows the South Downs Way. The Serpent Trail itself is a 100-kilometer trail that basically interconnects a bunch of smaller trails together. Um, and the last sort of 50K of this are effectively on the South Downs. So that last 50K, or indeed the, the whole 50K of the 50K race, um, is really quite flat. Um, I think there's around about 400 meters of elevation gain across the whole 50K. So that's, what, about 1,300 feet? Um, and these are not steep climbs. It's rolling kind of ups and downs. Um, so quite fast, really. You, or you expect it to be quite a fast course. The 50K is going to be a fast race yeah. um, for a trail race, you know, um, you know, cross country, if you want to call it that. This will be a pretty quick race. I'm, I'm guessing there'll be people running it sub three and a half hours, possibly. Um, the 100K... It, this, so as I say, the second half follows that same 50k, which is nice because it means you are finishing on, you know, decent running um, terrain. The first half though is much more climby. Um, I think there's around about 1,200 meters. Um, so what's that? Three and a half thousand, four thousand feet. Yeah. yeah, of climbing in that first 50k. So that's not flat. No. Um, and although I don't anticipate, you know, sort of steps and crags and, you know, all this stuff we get on the coast path down here, um, I am going into it expecting to be spending a lot of time running up and down hills. Um, I think that within the first 3K, there's about 200 meters of elevation gain as well. So um, you're kind of... Nice job getting for the heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So any sort of um, plans of keeping your heart rate under a certain kind of threshold... Uh, for the first, you know, hour or two, we're going to go straight out the window unless you're planning on walking up that whole thing. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's um, it's really a race of two halves for sure. Um, The first, I I imagine because the first half is is more climby and the second half is flatter, I expect to do each half in about the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, That's my sort of... Negative split in a way, almost, because you... you, Yeah. Mentally, that must be quite nice as well. As long as it proves that way, you've got... um, And it's always a bit of an error, I find, to set yourself up mentally for something to be slightly easier. It always bites me in the ass when I do that. Um, Mm. You know, just let's come off this mountain, but then find out you've got to climb all the way back up to, to a checkpoint to come all the way back down. So... It should be, it should be, you know, get the first half out of the way, I would imagine, and then cruise, not cruise, but, you know, settle into the zone for the second half. Yeah, that's that's the way I'm kind of framing it. Um, and the, the great thing as well about this race is you're allowed paces for the second Ooh. half. Yeah. So my brother Pat, who forfeit his place to me, is going to pace me for the second 50K. Oh, brilliant. Um, which will be great. So I'll have company the whole way through that and... He's quite a strong motivational force as well. Um, you know, I've run with him a fair bit in the past. Good runner. Yeah, he's a good runner. Um, and um, yeah, it'll be wonderful having someone there to sort of encourage and everything. Um, the, the, I'm, I'm, so basically, my goal with this race is to do it quick, um, as quickly as I can. Um, I haven't run 100K like this for some time. Um, you know, most of the races I've been doing have either been shorter over similar terrain or much longer over tougher terrain. Um, the Southwest Traverse is a good benchmark though, for what I expect to do in this race, Mm. because it's, that was 77 kilometers. Um, but with more climbing in it, even compacted into that 77 K, um, so I figure that I sh- ought to be able to average the same pace over an additional 23 kilometers, knowing the terrain's that much easier. None of it is going to need to be walked unless I feel like I have to walk. It's all runnable. Yep. Um, so with that in mind, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to do it under 10 hours. Um, and the course record's nine hours 40. So that's a kind of nice carrot to have kind of dangled there. And the pacing strategy will be based around trying to get below that 940 
uh, record. Good to have a pacer for that, though, to drive you, that last section. That's going to be really good fun. You run with a pacer before? When I did the East Devon round three years ago, um, my brothers surprised me by turning up on the last 30 or 40K. Um, I didn't know they were going to be there and pacers were allowed. And I rounded a corner about 60K, 65K, um, right about when I was starting to feel pretty tired. And Jamie, Joe and Pat were all running towards me. <laughs> <laughs> so they paced me for the um, the last sort of third of the race, really. Brilliant. Um, and it was great, mostly because I was navigating that race using a, ha- a map, like, a you know, I had a paper map. Yeah, yeah. And um, Jamie had loaded the GPS, the GPX onto his watch. And so I no longer had to think about map reading, um, which was great because it got me lost a couple of times. Just outsourced um, that bit. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was it was really nice having company. Um, so, yeah, it's... Yeah, I'm look, I'm really looking forward to I'm really looking forward to this day. The weather forecast is interesting. Um it's it's going to be a bit damp this week. Yeah, lows coming in. Mm, and um then Saturday's looking like it's going to be pretty warm up in Hampshire, over 20 degrees. I, I, last time I checked it was going to be 23. Race starts at 6 a.m. So, you know, there's going to be unavoidable running through the middle of the day. Um so I'm concerned about heat, but, you know, uh, had a little bit of experience with that recently. So. <laughs> <laughs> and performed. Um, so, you know. I, performed. So yeah. in terms of nutrition, the tailwind strategy that you did last time, that worked really well. You, are, you revise, are you reprising that, coming back? Yeah. Um, I'm changing it slightly. Um, last time, effectively, I'm, I'm going to consume the same um, products um, and the same quantities, more or less. Um but I'm changing it slightly because I'm not running with the ra- of the race vest. I'm going to run with a um, belt. Okay. Um, the, the kit list is really minimal on this. Um, jacket, foil blanket, first aid, um, plastic cup, uh, a liter of hydration, um, capacity, uh, mobile phone. That's it. Um, and I realized that, you know, when it's hot, probably nicer to not have something wrapped right around my body. Um or wrapped right around my torso. And uh, so I bought a belt. It actually arrived about an hour ago, and I've just tested it um, jogging around the house. I'm going to do a couple of small runs with it this week to check it's okay, but I can certainly load everything in there, and it feels super comfortable. Um, So with that in mind, I'm changing my strategy slightly um, because for the Southwest Traverse, I carried all of my nutrition in liquid form in a bladder. Mm -hmm. Um, basically a liter of a liquid with uh around about what was it about 200 200 to 250 grams of tailwind quite a high concentration wasn't it really high concentration yeah my teeth hurt for about a week afterwards (laughs) from all the sugar um i'm not used to eating sugar of course because i follow this low carb diet i never eat sugar um, other than when i'm racing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it seems like it weakens your teeth after a while they sort of let lower their defenses (laughs) Um, I actually judged a cocktail competition the other day and had the same thing. Really? Um, yeah, my teeth still hurt now from drinking all these sugary drinks all day. It's <laughs> awful. So um, uh, not that I'm going to be able to defend myself from that. What I'm doing this time is I'm going to be using soft flasks uh, filled with tailwind diluted to the correct strength, and I'll be collecting those, replenishing those from crew stops along the way. Um, so I'll just be handing off empty flasks and taking full ones. Yeah. Um, one an hour, basically, um, 500 ml of water an hour and around about 20 grams of carbohydrates an hour. I'm actually lowering the amount of carbs I'm going to take on because I think I, I overdid it last time. It wasn't necessary. And after our chat with Mike McKnight um, on uh, the episode, well, the episode is going out this Friday, but in fact, it will be last Friday by the time this one's released. Um, you know, he was talking about how he possibly thought he was overfueling um on occasion and getting too worked up about not having taken anything on for an hour and a half um and that sort of rings home with me as well i feel like you know there's a lot of chat about fueling in races and i think um for me for the diet that i follow and for the fueling strategy i use i possibly overthink it and and force too much food down myself when it's not necessary well it's got to be a, a right amount that you can absorb as well hasn't it you know you, you can put it all in but if you're not absorbing it that, that can no be point. problematic yeah so mm. um 
Yeah. So it's almost a similar sort of, of strategy. It's a few tweaks. Um, and that's going to... Less electrolytes as well. So um, I think, again, I possibly overdid it on electrolytes. I was consuming Tailwind, which has already got electrolytes in it. And I was supplementing with water, which had electrolytes in too. Okay. Because I was so worried about underdoing it. And I did get a little bit of cramp. Um, stomach cramp, sorry, not cramp. The electrolytes not, not muscle cramp, problem. stomach cramp. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it was either through too much liquid or too much electrolytes. So I'm just going to dial it down and I'll have spare tablets on hand. So if I do start to feel like I'm running low and I am getting cramp, then I'll just, t- I'll just take a tablet um, rather than it all being diluted into the water and it being sort of unavoidable, you know? And I guess the good thing with the belt is, as well is, you, you know, you tend to bury things. I, I certainly do. I tend to bury things deep in the pack. And I've learned over the years, if it's something essential like glide or blister pack, stuff like always have it close to hand. Um, mm. And there's always that temptation to, you know, bury the stuff that you've never used way, way down deep. But with a belt, you can yeah. have everything right there. So if you do need it, at least you can, you know, quickly grab it and, and chug it down. Yeah. No, it's a good belt as well. I got the Ultra Inspire one, which is only 25 quid. And um, it's uh, first impressions. Seems like it's really good. We'll know more after I've run all day in it, of course, and see how that works. Yeah, out. but you could. I reckon as a, sque- at a squeeze, because this is the other thing. So, um, you know, one liter of carrying capacity. I don't intend on starting the race with anything like that much, um, because the first checkpoint is thirteen kilometers in, and I don't fuel um, on carbohydrates until i've run for an hour anyway because i need to get that fat burning engine working at the start of the race i need to i need my body to realize that it's fat that we're primarily burning not carbs and so i deprive it um and then start supplementing carbs after that so i I really won't be drinking it's you know it's gonna be six in the morning it's not gonna be hot i won't be drinking anything for the first hour so um i can run super light on that first start bit and then start taking on these soft flasks um, systematically in the time, you know, in each checkpoint after that nine checkpoints in total. So basically one every 10 K, although they're actually concentrated more towards the end of the race. Of course, when most people are slowing down a little bit and it takes that little bit more time. So that would be quite nice from a, a strain point of view, you're going out quite lightweight. You'd be able to drop the hammer a little and, um, you like you say, worry about the weight later on when you start to take it on board for the, for the longer sessions. But it sounds like, um, uh, it's something that I've been looking at when I was, uh, I've just deferred my place for the CCC out in Chamonix, but, um, it was something I was looking at with a, a smaller pack. I'm using a, an eight liter pack these days, and it was going to be a bit of a struggle to get an entire mandatory kit list in for a mountain race. And I was thinking about running with a belt and a pack, which I think is something I might look at for for, for later races, just to have that um, dropping the weight down from the shoulders um, yeah. and just kind of bringing it close to the center of gravity. It all makes sense to me. It's And it's a nice place to hold your poles on the mountain races as well. So be interested to see how that works yeah. out. Yeah, this belt sort of loads things into the small of your back and then you have, I put the flask at the front and it's really very little jiggle to it and... Um, yeah, I was, uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, it's, of course, if you've got to carry a lot, then it's a useful thing to have as well as a, a vest as well. The other thing is, I mean, I've got a zip pocket in the back of my shorts that can fit the phone. Mm. It's amazing. Like, you know, you can kind of spread these items around um, and, and distribute the, the weight quite evenly. Um, and f- it's surprising how much kit you can fit into a small package, you know. Yeah, you've just got to be careful you don't put too much of, from my experience with them, is just you've got a lot of moving parts around the hips and, mm. and chafing is always a you know a potential. When, when things get wet, you carry a lot of sweat around the body there. And so, yeah, that's one thing. It might, might even be a bit judicious to put some glide around there as well. Yeah, that's a good shout, spots. actually, um, especially since it's pretty well untested and you know, that I haven't had a time to sort of harden certain parts of the body around there um, to, from the chafing and everything. So, yeah, I'll, I'll probably just basically have a glide bath before <laughs> going out on this race. I tend to make my do, do my feet super slippy. Yeah. Um, so that when you put your socks on, they feel like it feels like you've had an exfoliant on your feet because they just sort of slip in there. Velvet-lined socks. Yeah, that's it. Always good. Um, and you're right, probably the whole of the midriff. Um Every, yeah well it's everywhere basically yeah <laughs> just a full-on glides body spray <laughs> um and so uh footwear yeah footwear well i'm gonna take two pairs of shoes up um judging by the rain this week it's probably quite foolhardy to even consider uh one of them 
But when it was looking drier, I was genuinely, this is actually chatting with Jamie, my brother, because he's running the 50 and we were talking about shoes over WhatsApp. Um, I was considering going with a pair of fast road shoes, um, which would be the Sorconi Endorphin Speeds, which are carbon plated, um, just because, you know, this is, it's gentle climbs and descents. It's a wooded trail that doesn't require a lot in the way of grip. Um, and uh, they're fast shoes. They're light shoes and they're super comfy. Um, I did that track effort that you joined me on in those. And I've done a bit of trail running in them just recently to see how they fare. And they're great. Um, but it is going to be, I think the, the conditions on the foot are going to be a bit wet. So I've got my, I've got Nike Pegasus Trail 36s, which is the sort of three or four year old version of the Pegasus Trail. They now have the Pegasus Trail 2 and Pegasus Trail 3 which are, and well, an inferior shoe in my understanding of things. Everyone seems to think the grip's slightly better, but the upper's dreadful. Mm. Um, and I, I've gone through four or five pairs of the Trail 36. I love it. It's probably my all-time favorite shoe. It's a great crossover between road and trail. It's got a little bit of grip, but it's still fast and light. And I suspect that's the shoe I'll end up running in now, given that it's likely to be a little bit soggy. There might be patches of mud here and there. Um, so, yeah. And just so people can kind of get an idea of your strategy, if it, if it dries up, would you consider changing? Or once you're in a pair of trail shoes, are, are you lo- are you kind of mentally locked in and don't want to make the changes? Yeah, totally. Um, I'm assuming I do start in the Nikes. I'll hand off the others to my crew and um, I'll change if necessary. Um, you know, might change at halfway point, knowing that there's very little climbing in the second half and I want to be that faster. And you know, that spring that I might get from a carbon plate may feel great and, you know, give that confidence to go that little bit faster. Even if it's placebo, it's worthwhile, right? Yeah, I'll take a placebo any day of the week. They're great. <laughs> um, so any anything else going in? So how, you, you're traveling up. Are you doing the driving or are you handing that off? Uh, I'm driving up in my, in my camper van, my Defender. Your prepper. Um, camping the night before at the race finish. Bus out to the start. And then um, camping the following night as well, but I'm going to do that at my brother's house, which isn't one of my brother's, Pat, his house isn't too far away. Oh, fantastic. Um, if England do well in the football today, there's another football match with England on that Saturday. So um, <laughs> that'll be uh, a nice celebration, beer in hand. Um, so you'll probably be having an early night then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what it's like trying to drink beer after uh, running an ultramarathon. It's a really good idea until running. it starts. <laughs> and then it's a very cheap night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, I'm really looking forward to it. I must say the race organization has been amazing. The emails coming out and, and all the um, build up and everything uh, has been great. So I'm, I think it's going to be a really fun event. I just hope the weather's decent for it, not kind of drizzly and wet. Not not really just because of the running, but just because I think it'll be a, there'll be a great mood about the place. Um, oh, you know, a great group of people. Definitely. And you mm. want to be able to hang out afterwards and before and, you know, not all huddled away. And I think I think I'm holding Cornwall while everyone's gone. I think it's just me, possibly. <laughs> yeah, Everybody pretty much everyone's leaving. leaving. <laughs> <laughs> the trail's all to myself. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, let's um, let's kind of have a, a, re, a, a rejoin this again in a, in a few seconds then and uh, see how you got on, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Fantastic. Hey, we're back. Hello, we're back. We are, as if by magic. The race is done. The story yeah. is unfolded. All we've got to do now is tell it. <laughs> it's magical, isn't it? It's almost as if a race didn't happen for, for the listener. Just gone from a casual discussion of pre-race to after-race and all that suffering in between. is All the uh, stories is... that have unfolded. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just talking about my toenails, weren't we? Toenails um, and sinks. And, and, and yeah, it's not. It's a gruesome story to sort of begin the post-race summary with. But I have my keeping it real. Yeah, I keep it real because you know it's important to discuss the the, the downsides of uh, running long distances on on the feet, especially for me. It seems anyway. My feet seem to suffer more than anything. I've got really messed up feet anyway. My toes, very ugly feet. My toes are a bit misshapen and and. 
and so on. But anyway, I back when we did the Southwest Traverse about five or six weeks ago, um, I wore these Nike Terror cargos that hadn't been broken in properly, and they, I think they were, I probably got the wrong size, and they were too small. And um, it really bashed up my toes. I had the worst blisters I've ever had. Um, three or four toenails threatening to come off. Um, you know, within a few days of the race, one or two that did. And then after the uh, Serpent Trail, which at the time of recording was yesterday, so we're recording the day after, um, they it sort of finished them off. And so I'm in a hotel room in London at the moment. And um, upon arriving in the hotel, I took time to perch on the pedestal on top of the toilet system, um, <laughs> pop my feet into the sink because there's no bath in this hotel room. And um, I pulled my toenails off. Um, the two big toenails came off with that with very little resistance. You, and um, that does give you some kind of insight into perhaps why you should not wash your face in a hotel sink sometimes. <laughs> I mean, you know, just, just assuming that many ultra runners visit these hotels afterwards, there's some stories that have gone on in there. I'm sure that we don't really know about ignorance is bliss. Maybe wash your face in the shower. Uh, <laughs> it's very unlikely the shower head's been used for something as hideous. For, for toenail as removal. <laughs> the work that I've just done in this hotel room. Um, we won't mention the hotel chain. <laughs> just in case yeah. uh, so anyway well done Thanks. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud to announce my co-host uh, smashed first place on the 100k race yesterday at Serpent Trail and set a new course record clipping an hour an hour man an hour off the course record got to be stoked with that right yeah I'm pretty happy with that um, I think we probably mentioned in the pre- uh race sort of summary and everything that i i think i mentioned the, the course record which was 940 so 100k race 940 and that i was still generally targeting that kind of area because uh, you know as i've mentioned before in this podcast you, it's difficult to go into these races ever thinking right i'm going to win this or even that i'm going to podium it um because you just don't know who's going to turn up and so, you know, what's the point in aiming for that? Everyone's got their limit as to what they can achieve in a race. And, you you you, you know, you're only going to be as good as you can be. And there may be someone that's just better on the day. And other things can happen, injuries and, and nutrition goes awry or whatever. So for me, it's always about time, really. I'm looking at what time I want to achieve and then aiming for that and if if that results in a, in a, in a first or a second or third or just a good place, then so be it. Um, but I figured, you know what, being the course record that stood for five years, um, that ought to be good enough to get you on the podium. Um, hopefully. So yeah, course record was 940. That's what I was going for. So what I actually did with my plan was I targeted nine hours, um, thinking, well, you know, I'll let it slip a little bit. Probably. I probably won't make these times. I've never run any of the course before, um, as you remember from when we did the pre-race uh, mm -hmm. recording, I didn't even know exactly where it was. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out I did go through three counties, um, West Sussex, Surrey, and Hampshire. Um, I think it was just three. Um, <laughs> didn't really know anything about the trail um, other than I'd seen sort of elevation plots. And obviously I knew the distance. Um, so yeah, I, I targeted nine hours and it just went really well. Um, I, I set off fast... There was um, a guy running with me for the first sort of 13 to 15K, um, a young Scottish guy who I thought was going to be, you know, the real competition for the race. But then I soon sort of figured out that actually he just set off a bit too fast because he, he started dropping back. He did end up coming second. Um, and then, I, but I was, because I'd sort of started at this quite fast pace, faster than I probably would have done if there wasn't someone else, you know, running quite quickly. Um, I just, you know, I felt I, I got into the groove of running that pace mm -hmm. and I just started to feel comfortable at that pace, which was around about the 430 kilometer mark. So I guess that's about seven minute miles um, or just under seven minute miles. And I just continued that pace the whole way through for like 50, 60 K. Um, didn't really feel like I needed to let off. I didn't stop at checkpoints. Um you know, I just grabbed, grabbed, I had my mum crewing and just grabbed, a, you know, a fresh flask of water and a fresh flask of tailwind and water and just carried on going. 
and um yeah it's uh it it went really really well finished in 838 um which is a time that I never dreamt I'd be able to run 100k and let alone one in quite muddy hilly conditions yeah because it was quite muddy underfoot from what I've heard from other people as well yeah um I think this race has pretty much in every other year been quite dry and compacted and and probably a warmer day as well which Mm. of course brings its own challenges and we had a little bit of rain overnight. We had quite a lot of rain in the middle of the, well, in my middle of the 100K, about four or five hours in. It was quite torrential for for about five or ten minutes. And, yeah, there was, it was really muddy. Um, Jamie, my brother, was running the 50K. He came third in, a, like, a really hot field of, of runners and, and did, did really well. He ran super quick. He, he'd been scoping out the trail for a couple of days before, and I t- basically took his lead on footwear. Um, and we, we were obviously talking um, in the earlier part of this episode about what footwear to choose. And I'd kind of had these, the Ciccone, um In Peregrine uh, Tens, wasn't it? No, not the Peregrine oh, Tens. Intense, no. The, the, uh, the Endorphin Speed, which is a road shoe. That's that right. was what I had lined up for it. And um, because I was because I was imagining this quite dry, compacted trail, and there is a bit of road in it, I'd say probably maybe 15% of the race is road. Okay. Um, and um, so, I, and Jamie scoped out part of the trail the the day before and I had a phone conversation with him and he was like, I'm running in road shoes. It's, it's pretty dry. It's pretty good. It's farm track and stuff. There's bits of mud here and there, but you can run around it. I was like, cool, I'll take your lead. I haven't seen any of it myself. So that's what I run in. And I do regret running in road shoes. Um I although the the road sections allowed me to open up a lot because there's a there's a nylon plate in those shoes and so you can run fast in them. There were bits where you're running uphill in mud and just slipping around all over the place. Mm. Um, and the reality is that even a kind of s- sort of a soft trail shoe, because um, I like running in the in the night um, Pegasus Thirty Six trails, that that wouldn't have made a lot of difference either. You needed like something proper lugs on them um, to get up that stuff. And in fact, the Peregrine Tens probably would have been a good shoe for it. Um, I did bring them with me, but um, they just stayed in the car. <clears throat> so um, whether or not I would have actually run it any quicker in trail shoes, I don't know because the time diff- – I think the speed gains on the road sections from those uh, endorphin speeds, I mean, you're chopping off like 20, 30 seconds a kilometer, I think. So in, just in this- balance – you would have lost and gained depending on I which. Think so. so the course was so variable that one shoe was never really going to cut. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you, you, it's a real mixed terrain course. I mean, there's other bits where you're running in sort of sand, basically. Fuck knows where the sand comes from. I don't know what that was doing there. You know, we're near a beach. Um, but we know sand, you know, being from Cornwall. So that's a little fine. bit. Yeah. Um, a lot of wooded trail and then some just really muddy bits. Um, I mean, I, I'd mud up to the knees at times. I mean, there's, there's certain sections where it doesn't matter what shoe you're wearing, you are sinking into mud. So um, uh, the other thing as well is that the um, the endorphin speeds just don't offer any stability whatsoever because it's a road shoe. Mm. Um, and that that um, made my ankles and to some extent my knees suffer a little bit. I was pro- overpronating because I just didn't have any stability in the shoe. Um, you know, it's not a wide um, uh, sole or anything like that. Whereas something like the Peregrine Tans or, you know, one of my like Salomon trail shoes would have offered so much more stability and therefore been a bit more comfortable on the joints. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean... I, you know, probably in terms of minimizing risk of injury, a trail shoe would be better next time. Um, but I don't regret the speed that I got on the road from those endorphin speeds. So, yeah, swings them around. It's, it's, well, yeah. So, so you did the right thing, mate, to hit the record by that much. Something well, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It can't, you, you can't complain too much because obviously when things went pretty well. Um, I had had uh, a, a bit of a nutrition mishap. Um, you know, I talked I talked a lot in the earlier part of this episode about my nutrition plan, which was purely through Tailwind. Um, and I I'd sort of decided I was going to go for about twenty five grams of carbohydrate per hour. So that's a hundred grams of a hundred calories an hour. 
um, which is only 800, 900 calories throughout the course of the race, which is on the low side for sure. And um, I miscalculated it basically. I'd, I think I'd done about 35 grams of carbohydrate an hour for the Southwest Traverse. And I, I wanted to see how low I could go just to minimize the possibility of any stomach issues by putting in the least amount of carbohydrate, least amount of fuel as I possibly could, and, and obviously relying on that fat burning engine to do the majority of, of the legwork. Um, and it just wasn't enough. Um, I was, you know, there's a lot of hill efforts. I ran. I would say I ran 97% of this race. I did virtually no walking whatsoever. It was, it was running the whole way. And that included the hills at the start. So, um, you know, I was tapping into muscle glycogen. I was burning through that. I was, you know, in a reasonably high aerobic state throughout the whole thing. And that was fine up until about 60 to 70K. And then I started feeling, I started getting that cold sweat of low blood sugar you know, that feeling yep. of like, there's nothing there. Oh God. Like, you know, I'm not, I've not got anything <laughs> left to burn. Um, I can't oxidize enough fat to continue to fuel this system. And I've not got enough sugar inside me. That's for sure. So, um, I got to the, I took a, I took a gel, an emergency gel and that helped a little bit. And then I got to the checkpoint at 80 K and I was, not in a great way still moving reasonably quickly still running but starting to get a bit delirious um feeling very tired and i ate so much food there um, <laughs> <laughs> the plan went out the window i had a I had a marmite sandwich i had watermelon i had a bag of crisps and i had i think i think i probably ate three little flapjacks and then i took another three with me and ate them over the next five to ten minutes is this all from the aid station kind of table yeah. so you finally yeah. got your money's worth i finally got my money's worth from a race <laughs> it was so wonderful just visiting this buffet and going i love a bit of that and a bit of that <laughs> and um our friend lloyd purvis was at the same aid station he was running the 50k and um yeah, he could see that I was in a bit of a state. And I had Pat, my brother, running me at this point. Because you know, you're going to pace Pat up from 50k me, onwards. Yeah. yeah, he's pacing me. And um, it must have been hilarious because we just came in like a whirlwind. And I'm just putting – I was drinking loads of Coke as well. So getting caffeine down me and everything. And then we set off from that A station, 20k to go, which, of course, isn't a long distance. But when you've run 80 already, it does feel yeah. like quite a long way still. And um, – yeah, within a few minutes, I was like, oh, my God, I can feel the energy coming back. I'm feeling good. I you was then a bit paranoid. Yeah, I was a bit paranoid about stomach complaints, but that never happened. I had no stomach issues throughout the whole race, even after loading all that food. And I think it's because I had no food in me. Um, it wasn't too much, too taxing on my digestive system to digest it because, I mean, I've, I don't eat in the morning. I, don't, I was fasted since the night before. Yeah. This is now, uh, I guess, about 1 p.m., so I've missed breakfast, missed lunch, and all I've had is sugary water, basically, and electrolytes. So, um, yeah, I was, I was quite happy that I managed to get all that food down me. And um, you never really look back after that. I did, we actually got faster again. Um, you know, we were down to about 5 minute 30 splits, kilometers. Whoa. And then um, when we got to uh, the last 5K, I ramped it up again. I managed, to, I, I think I got down to about four minute, 30 kilometers for the last few kilometers. Um, you know, it wasn't exactly a sprint finish, but it was, um, you know, a, a, a strong finish. Relatively wise. It, it yeah. was, you know, yeah. <laughs> so you've kind of, you've had some mishaps in that, in terms of new things that have come up before from your mental state, did you have any did you feel any worry, any any anxiety about it happening? Could because you, you could feel it happening? Did you feel, or were you just you know, hey, let's just get to the aid station, get some fuel in, and, and see what happens? Yeah, I think there was probably a moment in between the seventy and eighty k aid station where we got to a, a really short hill, literally nothing interesting at all, and I started jogging up it, and I just lost all energy, and I said to Pat. I think I need to walk for a minute. And we walked up this very low, it's like slow, just a short little rise. And at that point I was like, oh my God, like I can't, 
you know, I, I, this needs to, to end. I need to need to fix this because I can't be dealing like every, the remainder of this race. Every single little rise can't be walked up. That's mm. not not going to happen because I'd been running so confidently up to that point. And yeah, you know, we trudged onto that aid station, and I said when I got there because we I, I hadn't every other aid station before that I'd stopped for no more than fifteen seconds. I'd just changed flasks and taken a sip from something. Got got you know the quickest of reports about you know what second place is doing and what my times are looking like compared to what I planned, and then straight off no stopping. Um, and at that aid station, I said, right, we're going to stop for four or five minutes, and I'm going to refuel. And because I don't, I didn't, apart from anything, I mean, at that point, the race, I think was one. I mean, the guy behind me was an hour behind. Um, even the, even the, the course record would have been tricky to lose it at that point. Um, but I didn't want to finish the race feeling like dreadful and completely lacking energy. So I think it was the right thing to do to just stop four or five Mm -hmm. minutes, enjoy a bit of food, get it down and then you know, at least have a good chance of finishing strong at the end of it. But I never, there was never a a sort of mental point where I was like, oh, I can't do this or this is the end of it or I'm going to DNF, nothing like that. I I think, you know, one of the things about racing a lot is you do sort of start to gain a confidence and a, a confidence in your own body and, and in your mind as well. And understanding when your mind's telling you something and your body's telling you something else or your mind is trying to convince you to stop, but you have that confidence in your body to continue on, and knowing that five minutes down the line, ten minutes down the line, things are going to feel different. All change again, right? Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, mate, it's uh, it's, it's a great considering as well. You know, kind of never running that course and having limited knowledge of the terrain and stuff, just to have that ability to go out and just keep smashing the the, the pace out there. That's uh, that's a pretty well worked weekend um yeah it's a it's a good course i'd love to do it dry at some point i'll maybe go back and do the 51 year on a drier year because the course basically um i mean i mentioned before that it's the first half's hilly the second half not so much mm. i mean it really is like that it's it basically starts off very hilly and then it, it just gradually gets less and less hilly as time goes on in the last 10 to 20k is pretty flat trail running any monotony quite, in that? Not really, because it's constantly changing terrain. So you're either in a field or you're on a single okay. track or you're on a farm track or you're on a stretch of road. There's really no way of getting bored because it's changed. You're never on the same kind of trail for more than a mile or two, um, which is one of the things that I think makes it actually a really great race to run. You see so much scenery and there is a huge variety. I mean, you get everything except coast paths and mountains, basically. <laughs> Um, not that you'd really want either of those in there, <laughs> but it's, um, it was hillier than I expected. Um, I mean, my, my Garmin reckoned on 1,900 meters of elevation. Um, oh, wow. that's slightly more than, than freedom racing state. So maybe my Garmin's just a bit off, but it was, there were definitely some pretty decent climbs. I seem to remember one at about 48 kilometers. It was just before the halfway point. That was an absolute bitch. It was, it was well, it was very much like coast path stuff, but a, a bigger ascent um, and quite steep. Probably, probably, uh, you know, 120 meters up in one hit, and, and steep and like rooty and muddy and just endless. Nice. <laughs> so the race was well organized. Tom and Nikki put on a good show. Brilliantly organized. I mean, the whole atmosphere, everything. I mean, it, it, obviously, it's part of this Golden Series um, thing and Salomon and the sponsor. And so the production quality is just top notch. Like, it, the whole Race HQ was like a festival, you know, all mm. these tents up. And they held it at um, uh, Petersfield Rugby and Football Club. So great, great area. Tons of people camping there, um, you know, bars, beer um you know salomon had a shop there it, it was it was really well done and then um the race itself yeah just really well organized the coaches the timings um the marshals the signage i mean there's a hell of a lot of signage out on that trail because and it needs it even with the gps the gpx file um you know there's the serpent trail which is all these interconnecting wooded trails but there are also many, many other trails that spur off it in different directions. I mean, mm. there's a lot of trails around there. Um, 
so you really did need the signage because at some points you've got three trails that are all heading the roughly the same direction it's like well, which one do i take and i did take some wrong turns um more so in this first half that's mainly because i was running on my own um no one else running with me so you you're purely self-navigating whereas in the second half we we caught up with a lot of the 50k runners and then subsequently the half marathon runners and the 10k runners and so you you can see ahead this trail of people moving in a certain direction and and in general the trail was less complex in the second half anyway and you can see signs of life on the floor can't you as well you know you've got footprints and stuff like that whereas if you're on virgin ground early on and you're at the front of the field it makes no odds whatsoever yeah but later on yeah. obviously you've got signs of life so yeah wow okay <laughs> you should go do it sometime though it's a it's a good race well half it's a cornwall goes up unfortunately it, it kind of um coincided with my wife's birthday so ah. she gives up a lot for kind of our running trips and things like that. not gives up a lot but we make it part of our kind of holidays and things like that sometimes and oh make yeah. it part of her birthday well, we went. We went. <laughs> <laughs> you know my wife, though. Um, so we went to the Silly Isles. So we had a tr- quick trip over to the Sillies. Wonderful. And, uh, Did you get any running in over there? I was tempted. I was tempted, but uh, we were only there for the day. So um, is there? A, I've always wondered: is there a coast path that goes around the Sillies? Do you know we were on St Mary's, and there was pretty much a defined path as far as we walked around. There was, but they do the Otillo over there. Um, which is the swim run thing from Scandinavia. Ah, okay. Um, and so they run between the island, uh, they run over the islands and swim between them. So there's definitely, you know, running goes on over there. That's cool. So how, what's the gap between the islands? Uh, well, some of them at low, low, low tide, you can walk between them quite easily. I'd say probably maybe half a mile. No expert on the sillies, but some of them, it's pretty close. And they're, they're kind of a big ring around there as well. So, but the Otil so is you- really catching on. Yeah, do you know what distances are involved in that then? Like running versus swimming kind of thing? Very short on both of them because it's a, it's a consistent uh, switch. It's not biathlon. It's it's um, swim, run, swim, run, swim, run, swim, run. You're constantly changing. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to use fins, you can. But then, of course, you have to carry the fins on the run part. Or so, running them. Or, or, <laughs> or running them. If they're really, really small fins, retractable fins, maybe. But um, if there was snow, then that might be quite useful. That, that would, well, it is a Scandinavian sport. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it is on my list of, of races to do. And half of Cornwall, like I said, does seem to empty out and, and head up there for the races, half of our circuit anyway. Oh, there was a massive Cornish contingent up there. It was great. And um, I ran past a fair few familiar, well, familiar voices because it was often. People saying, hey, Tristan. And, and I was just like, uh, I don't know. I found r- racing recently, I've found I've put, I put myself in a very deep mental state of concentration when I'm running, I become, which as a result of that, I become very antisocial. And so it's usually I'm, I'm, I'm more or less incapable of speech. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of thumbs up that go on um, because I just I can't even respond to people it's it's almost like a I guess it's it's not a sort of flow state or a state of it's definitely not meditation because there's no, no calming of the mind going on whatsoever there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, mental anguish in fact but it's nonetheless I sort of lock myself in this hole I guess to protect myself from the pain um, and suffering that's that's going on at the same time I think people get it. People yeah. get it. They, yeah, they, you know, nobody's, nobody's expecting it. You just to stop and have a bit of a chinwag. Well, that's what did oh, happen got- with, with, with Lloyd Purvis because we <laughs> met him at the at the checkpoint where I was suffering really badly and I, I, I'd eaten a bit and I felt a bit better and I said to him, are you going to come up and set off with us because he was eating too? And um, he did and we ran together for a few couple, a couple of kilometres and he got his camera out and um, he mentioned the podcast, I think, and I gave some sort of like slurred response about the podcast <laughs> that I think I said something along the lines of, if you want to hear my thoughts on this race, this is while I'm running. Um, <laughs> if you want to hear my thoughts on the race, then you need to listen to the podcast because I wasn't in a position to be sort of summarizing it. Yeah, 82 kilometers. Um, no exclusives. You're going to have to listen. <laughs> no exclusives. <laughs> Yeah. Oh well, I saw. Yeah, I saw him putting up some uh, some footage. And Liga, his wife, uh, ran her first fifty k. I think um, she did a hundred. She did a hundred. Oh, fair play. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she's lovely as well, Liga. Um, I'm glad yeah. she, glad it worked out well. But uh, yes, yeah. yeah, so it is on my list. Um, 
But um, yeah, I've got some other things to kind of get out of the way. So hopefully next year. I'll, uh, we'll, I think we'll you'll like it. I think you'll like that course. It's really lovely. Um, it's, it's yeah, it's it's a great course. I'd recommend anyone doing it actually. Um, partly because the course is great, and partly because they put on a, such a great event. There's a good atmosphere there. That's that's. I think you can. I I don't know personally. I would rather have the atmosphere and lots of friends around than have the best course ever. So if you have a really good course and awesome atmosphere, you know, win win. But um, I definitely like the atmosphere most i think that's why i do trail running really the people you know mm. it's it's the big part of it for me um sure the social yeah. side of it is definitely a big thing and um well you know it's a bit like going through a sort of war zone together isn't it um yeah it's although it's competitive you know at you know at the front um there's a huge amount of camaraderie in the whole thing as well one of the great things about ultra running i think is that in the, on the whole most people aren't really going fast enough to be, you know, to to be incapable of chatting and saying, "Hey, how are you doing?" and you know, "You're doing well," and "Oh, you're you know, keep going," all that kind of thing. And you know, someone overtakes you for a bit, and then you catch back up with them, and you know, you see them at the checkpoint, and everything. It's it's a far more social side of running um, compared to say like, you know, half marathons and everything where it's just silence and heavy breathing, you know, <laughs> everyone's so time driven in, on, on a, you know, on road race as well. You know, yeah. it's um, very, very focused on those individual times. And I think on a, like you said earlier, on a trail run, so many things can, can go awry that you, you, you kind of have to have an element of, you know, sanguineness about it all and just go, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to aim for this today. And if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, um, yeah. you know, and, and I think you, your kind of point about going for times is, is, is a good way of measuring. So if you take in the outcome of a race of having so many different potential outcomes, time, at least is a, is a con, you know, you, you can measure it. You've got that element of saying, okay, so this was my goal and this, this is where I arrived. Whereas placings and even performance, within a pack is beyond your control so mm. having a time goal is, is something that you can control to a degree yeah i think it's something you you know you can get an idea of what the course is like and what your sort of fitness level and you know how the training block's gone and then set that time goal based on it but yeah it's tricky to do but if you've never run on the course and of course when the factor of weather comes in as well because weather's such an important factor whether it's hot or wet or windy um, it can really impact how fast you can go, and and but then that's part of the interest of it, you know, in a way. The, the conditions, variables. yeah, it's problem solving, isn't it? I've always thought that. I've, trail running is problem solving. How do I get from here to there with all these variables in that time? Yeah, it's the fun part. It's it's a, it's the human element of it all. I think. Yeah, it is. There's definitely yeah a lot more problem solving than the, than the ten k road race for sure. But yeah. You don't have the time to fix the problems in a 10k, do you? Something goes wrong, <laughs> and everyone's finished before you've tied your shoelaces again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's over. Um, and so um, we've got something uh, coming up in. Well, we're going to release this this week, so we've got something coming up that we're both doing again in in five weeks' time. Um, yeah, less than five weeks. Less now, than I think, five isn't it? weeks now. Yeah, I've just had the. I'm slowly getting emails and messages and voicemails from people realizing that they haven't booked in for a, for a session. And, um, yeah, yeah it's kind of, uh, I could do really. a booking in as well, I think actually. Um, so please cool. accept this as my voicemail for yeah. needing to book in. <laughs> I've probably already blocked one out for you, if I'm honest. And, uh, <laughs> it's done. But, um, so we've got the, 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 the mud crew, um, rat weekend, Rosenal Auglands August trail weekend. And we're both doing the, the hundred K on that which is um, the Plague, lovely named race, um, which is a huge local event and, and very much, um, you know, or having not done the Serpent, but hearing your description, very much of the same ilk, uh, big social, um, overnight camping the night before, big party afterwards, uh, lots of great organisation. And, um, and, and I think you were saying our, our, our numbers on the, the previous uh, Southwest Traverse podcast were very good. And, and if this one goes down well, I think we should probably do another one for the plague as well a kind of a pre and a post and and if if anyone has any thoughts on that as well please do drop us a line if you're thinking this is useful for you um your feedback and, and everyone that listens is the reason we do it so yeah if, you, if you're enjoying it if, you, if you're not enjoying it let us know but um we've both got that in 
five weeks. And so you've got some recovery work to do now. You need to grow two new toenails. Um, <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> like, I don't know, what do you take? Calcium pills or something? I uh, think, well, you're, you're in London at the moment. I'm sure there's a nail bar that would just pop you some on. <laughs> I don't think that's what nail bars do, is it? I mean, actually, I, I suppose they do. They're on fingernails, don't they? They stick fake... Um, Fake fingernails on. Maybe, I don't know if it will glue straight onto the skin. I don't, I'm not an expert in such things, but yeah. So you know, need to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure sticking toenails on is going to be very useful. I'm not entirely sure that toenails are useful in the first place. I don't quite know if they serve any purpose, you know, to the modern human. Well, if you're there, I'm sure somebody does Kevlar ones. You know, <laughs> get, get a couple of carbon fiber ones stuck on. Well, what's his name? Um, we were talking about the, uh, the other day, weren't we? Uh, the speed goat. The oh, Paul Meltzer. Yeah, he had them. He's had them surgically removed. Removed. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they just kept on becoming a, a problem. Well, uh, um, a friend of a friend um, is his dad is a well, no, actually a friend. His dad is a, a really famous mountaineer um, up in the Lake District called Chris Bonington, and it, I think oh, yeah. his dad now only has like three or four toes left. Because he's, he's he's had the toes taken off because they're kind of they've got in the way over the years with frostbite and stuff like that, and they're Wait, more the hassle. toes or the toenails. Literally the toes. The toes. Oh really? Doesn't yeah. that, doesn't have the issues of like I don't know balance and. Well, he he's yeah. he's in his probably eighties now, and I think. Probably, oh right, so uh, he's uh, everyone in their eighties got issue of balance. Exactly, so health issues, <laughs> but it's just like that. Yeah, just take the toes off. So yeah, a, a friend. So our joint friend was telling me when he was round for dinner that he was like, oh yeah, I just said take the bloody things off, kind of thing. They're getting more, giving me more hassle than they're worth. So, um, but yeah, we still need ours. So. Yeah, grow them back quickly. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure I do. I mean, I think at least one of these big toes is I've lost the nail three or four times now. Um, so I need to try and work out why it's happening for starters and um, then uh, somehow attempt to stop it either by permanently removing the nail bed or, um, so, I don't know, changing my shoes or something. Well, there is um, – I did mention it before. There's that book by um, oh, John Von Hoff called Fixing Your Feet. And the new version mm. comes out actually middle of August, but um, so I've got the new one coming. But I haven't got that long. <laughs> you haven't. So <laughs> I might just like copy and paste one for you. Um, but yeah, he mentions a very specific technique of chopping the toenails across in a straight line rather than trying to curve them around the toes. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll dig something out for you, send it over. Um, I'll photograph the page. Straight line. It sounds very fashionable. It sounds like well, something they're doing a nail bar. It's it's kind of hard to do if I'm honest because most nail clipper things are curved, right? Rounded, yeah. So um, yeah, but I've I've done that and I've only lost one toenail in in a long, long, long time, um, and I think that might have been furniture related. I think so. I've lost five in the last five weeks. Yeah, but you got to think, man. The, the body's having to fix those for you. It's diverting yeah. your resources to I've toenails. I've got another one that I was trying to get off earlier, and um, it doesn't want to come off. So I thought I'd leave that. Is he get, have you been putting him under the pillow for the for the maid? You can like get a pound tomorrow. For the, to, for the toenail toenails. <laughs> I don't reckon anyone would give me a quid for one of those toenails. How mate. to get barred from a hotel? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure anyone would pay money for one of those. <laughs> even even the mythical toenail fairy would turn her nose up at that. Oh dear, I've, I've seen some some terrible feet. Look like more like root ginger uh, at the toes, but. Um, yeah, toenails are an interesting thing. Um, right, we should probably wrap this before we, we lose all our audience. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, mate, well done. Thanks. Epic running, epic running. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I think um, your star is is shining very well at the moment, and uh, all the hard work and the winter miles and everything else is is definitely definitely paying off. And all the uh, the cutting edge stuff that you're doing as well. It's really interesting to hear um the different aspects of your training yeah the low carb stuff i, I do think that's uh, that has a, a definite effect on it as well for sure so i'm i'm really pleased although the nutrition thing didn't work out quite well and there's a lesson to be learned from that you know i will adjust going forward um and you know tweak this stuff yeah i think that's uh, been a big contributing factor as well um, and yeah, so the plague next, the plague, um, which uh, we won't talk too much about it because we'll do an episode on it, but um, only a month away. So as you say, but recovery-wise, I won't be doing anything until the, next, the weekend. So it's probably five full days off, mm. um, a bit of stretching, um, which I was doing all day today, actually. And I've been walking around a lot too. 
um, which is good. And then, um, yeah, start training again next week. But I'll probably just keep it pretty low level, um, just base really. Maybe yeah. put a couple of interval or hill sessions in once a week kind of thing and possibly a bit of strength work, but pretty much just base training. And then, yeah, that'll be upon us. Yes, and that's um, you've done that course with Jamie. Um, well, I crewed for you on that kind of thing that we did overnight, didn't we? Um, yeah. So no surprises on the course, but of course, like we said earlier, we don't know what the weather's going to throw and, and who else is going to be there. Um, well, we do know who else is going to be there. There's a couple of... We know uh, a couple of big ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's for another episode. Exactly. Um, cool. Well, uh, yeah, that was fun. And I'd suggest to anyone listening, do, do uh, consider doing the Serpent Trail. It's a really fun race. And, you know, if not the 100, the 50 or the, or the half marathon, there's, there's a distance there for everyone. It's a beautiful part of the country. And um, what with the camping and everything at eight pounds a night, there's really no excuse other than it took an age to get from Cornwall uh, up to Hampshire. There, it took me six hours, but there were people who were in the car for eight hours. I heard it took Lloyd there. sort of eight, eight or something hours. So, which is a, that's something we might touch on actually, because there are some tips and tricks um, for getting to a race event in as best as part of my work with, with athletes is getting them obviously out of the clinic in tip top condition, but also getting them to the event without the travel undoing what they've done. Um, so that's something we might touch on. There's some, some really useful, simple things that you can do to make the journey less dis- disruptive and destructive on your body. Um, cause how you arrive at the start line is, is what it's all about, you know? Um, so maybe we'll go over those at some point as well. Yeah, for sure. I think so. Get out and walk regularly, I guess, would be one massively of the, so. And and just mm. avoid, you know, the sitting thing is is quite a bad um, position. Yeah, it's not good, is it? No, yeah. it's uh, so. Yeah, we'll go through some of those for sure. Ideal. All right, pal. Cool. Well, Thanks, you uh, rest it well, and um, mm. remember, obviously, clean the sink before you go. Um, and <laughs> other than that, yeah, safe trip back to Cornwall when you're back, man. Thanks, Jay. Cheers. Cheers, Thanks, buddy. everyone. Catch you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK makes more sense when it's written down i promise you oh and we're on facebook too see you next time thanks for listening